0: This is a a very exciting scene this morning, and I would like to read what happens in this scene from John, first 18 verses of chapter 20 this morning. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb, and he saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb, crying, And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking it was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God, And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. It's an amazing story. Not everyone today believes that story. A couple paragraphs from Steve Seinbold, one of the editors for Huffington Post. He writes, this next Easter, when more people pack churches around the country than any other Sunday to hear the story of Easter, we should all take time to examine both the story of Jesus and evolution through the eyes of objective reality. In other words, put your emotions on the shelf and look at the facts through critical thinking. The majority of scientists believe in evolution. And an even more staggering statistic, according to a recent Gallup poll, is that only 16% of Americans believe in an evolution that is unguided by God. Why do so many people reject the evidence? The answer is simple. The promise of eternal life that's written in the Bible, that neither you and I can prove to be true. Not a bad product to be selling. Who wouldn't want to believe you're going to live forever in a mansion in the sky, as opposed to darkness after death? Who doesn't want to be reunited with loved ones in the afterlife? Religion markets a more attractive project or product, and that's the reason that it sells. Steve Seinbold does not believe in the story of John Twenty. There are over a billion people on this planet that would disagree with him. That believe in the resurrection. Actually, about 65% of all Americans believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ when asked. I believe it's true. You make your decisions. Steve Seinbold makes his decisions, and we all live with the consequences of those decisions. I've been in ministry now 37 years, and I've been a senior pastor for about 30 years. So I have preached about thirty Easter messages. If you put those all together, it would be about the length of three full-length novels. So I've gone over this story many, many times, and I have talked about the proofs for this story. Uh, I would just about guarantee you that Steve Seinbolt from Huffington Post has not taken his own advice in looking at the facts. There are many men who did not believe in the resurrection who did. You can read their books. Josh McDowell, Evidence that Demands a Verdict. Uh, Lee Strobel, one of the agnostic editors for a major Chicago newspaper who wrote The Case for Christ. After looking at the evidence and finding that it was convincingly, he came to the conclusion that it was true. Leon Morris, a trial lawyer, who started out writing a book to refute the resurrection, wrote one chapter, changed the book, and wrote the book, Who Moved the Stone? An apologetic for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, one of the most well-known of previous centuries was Lionel LeCoultre, who was a... He's in the Guinness Book of Records. He was a, a murder trial lawyer, and he he won... 275 consecutive acquittal, murder acquittals without losing a case. And he writes this after examining the resurrection of Jesus Christ with the mind of a lawyer. He said, I can say unequivocally that the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so overwhelming that it compels acceptance by proof, which leaves absolutely no room for doubt. So this morning... uh, Although I am tempted, I always I always love to look at the evidence for the resurrection because there's so much out there. If that's a question in your mind, I would challenge you. Pick up a book, Who Moved the Stone by Leon Morris, Case for Christ, by Lee Strobel. There are other books out there with overwhelming evidence for the resurrection of Christ. But this morning I want to do something different. And I have just one point this morning. Just one point. It's very simple. I don't want to look for the evidence of the resurrection. I want us to again be reminded today as we walk through the story of the significance of this point in the story and what it means for you and I. And this is what it means. And here it is, very simply. It means God has given us life and this life is in His Son. I'm quoting now the words of Scripture, that God has given us life, and this life is in His Son. You know what that means? That means if you have the Son, you have the life. And it also means, as the Scripture says, if you do not have the Son, you don't have life. And we call that something. You know what it's called? It's called death. It's called death. And that is a disturbing word. When you look at that word, we all have The same impression of that word. It is a negative word. It's a discouraging word. It's a scary word. But it's a real word. And that word comes up very early in the story. You go all the way back to the very beginning of the story. Everything was wonderful. Everything was beautiful. But in verse 17 of chapter 2, God is talking... So Adam, he says, you can eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when when you eat of it, you will surely, and there it is, you will die. Death will become a part of your life the day that you sin, the day that you disobey this command. The serpent came to Eve, and she told him, she said, we can't eat this. God said, if we eat it, we'll die. Satan says, You won't die. God just told you that. You either the fruit, you'll be like God. That's why he doesn't want you to be like him. You won't die the day you eat of this fruit. So they ate of the fruit. Just one piece. Just once. And the day they ate, they died. God didn't come back and say, hey, enemy, what did I tell you? You do that again. Okay? He didn't count to ten. The day they ate, they died, and death became a part of our life because sin separated man from God. And as we'll see in a moment, God and life are very, very much connected. To be separated from God is to be separated from life. If we go, we look back in John's Gospel. If you have a Bible, just turn with me to John 1. Otherwise, you'll see it up on the wall as well. John 1, 1 through 4. I want want to read this. Because this is really talking about the essence of what life is for all of us. John 1, beginning with verse 1. In the beginning was the word... Another word there for G. That's another word for Jesus. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. Listen to verse 4. In Him was life. And that life was the light of man. In Him was life. Life. So, life is in God. In fact, God is life. Before anything came to be, before the stars, before the moon, before the planets, before the universe, before anything, before any matter came into being, there was life. Because God is life. The essence of his being is life. And so Jesus would come and he would say, I'm the way, the truth, I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And so, I mean, the the basic core reality of what we all need, of what, what, what this world is about, is about life. If you don't have life, this is true, isn't it? If you don't have life, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how much you own. It doesn't matter how much stuff. It doesn't matter how much matter. If you don't have life, you don't have life. It's as simple as that. I mean, if, you're, if your daughter calls or your son and says, a fire just burned the house down last night. What's your first question? What did you lose? No, did everybody? is everybody okay? Did anybody lose their life? If there's a bad accident. You don't say how's the car. You say did anybody, you know, is everybody okay? That's we want to make sure that nobody lost their life. If you don't have life, you don't have anything. And so before there was anything, God was alive. In him was life. And so we go back to the first scene again, way back to Genesis chapter 2. Listen to verse 7. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. So man formed. Man is formed. All of his body, systems, his heart, his organs, his brain, everything is formed. It's ready to go. And then look what God did. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. So where did that come from? Did it come from the body systems? No, it came from God. God is the author of life. He is life. And so he breathes life into man. The tragedy of the story happened way back in chapters 2 and 3 of Genesis because man sinned and he became separated from God. And remember, to be separated from God is to be separated from life. And so it was true, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so we see that every man and woman from that time on, in one sense, and this sounds strange, but would be born dead. Would be born dead. What, is, what does that mean? Well, there's, we have to understand there's, there's actually three kinds of death that the Bible talks about. We see Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. There's one kind of death. This is what it says. It says, just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So what's this talking about? It's talking about the physical death that we're all facing. I often will say at funerals to everyone who's here remembering the one who's died, is just a reminder that we are all terminal. We are all dying. Every one of us is dying as a result of sin and being separated from the life of God. So there is this experience of physical death, and at its best we might make 80, 90 years of life, but then we die. There's a second kind of death. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, as for you, he's talking about you means you and me, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So the kind of death here is a spiritual death. So when, we say you were, when I say you were born dead, I'm saying you were, spo- you were born spiritually dead. You were born with an inability to commune with God, to, to know God, to understand the things of God, to understand the realities, the spiritual realities of life. We were all born with a deadness in our spirit. And so John talks about this life and he he compares it with light compared to darkness. Because when there's light, you can see. And people that are alive can see. People that are dead cannot see. And so what what we have is we have a a lot of people walking around and they appear to be alive, but they are are walking in darkness and spiritually they're dead. And so what that means is they cannot see. When we're spiritually dead, we we cannot see spiritual realities. And the third kind of death, Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. This is the second death. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. What that's saying is people are going to die twice. They'll die this earthly death. But then there's also a second death. This is an eternal death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death. In John 11, verses 25 and 26, listen to this referral to these two kinds of death. Jesus said to Mary, whose whose brother had just died, He says, I'm the resurrection of life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Okay, physical death. But there's a spiritual kind of, of life and death as well and that's why Jesus follows it up and he says, and whoever lives and believes in me from that point on will never die. So the day you believed in Christ, if you trusted in Christ, from that point forward Jesus said in, in a real, very real sense, you were born again, that's another phrase that the Bible uses and from that point on spiritually you will never die. You will never experience that spiritual death in your life. So what am I saying this morning? <clears throat> my, my point this morning is very, very simple. What I'm saying is this, that your greatest enemy, your greatest enemy is not the IRS or Washington or a person that's making life hard in your life or ISIS or anything else. Your greatest enemy, my greatest enemy, is death. That's an enemy that we all faith face because death can take the most valuable thing away from us. Death is the only thing that can take our life. And we see that Death came into the world. <clears throat> Romans five seventeen. This is a very, this is a very powerful verse. It, it really gives us a big picture look here. But look at what it says. Romans five seventeen. For if by the trespass of one man, death and notice the word, death reigned through that one man. That means death rules. And death is ruling in our world, and death on one level is ruling in your life, because we are all physically dying. We know about this reality. We all live in this reality. By the trespass of Adam, he's talking about death reigns through one man. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace... There's a picture here of responding to Christ through faith in His grace. God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness. And notice what it says. Reign in life. So you can go from the reign of death to the reign of life through this faith in the grace of God. Demonstrated. This power demonstrated in the very resurrection of Jesus Christ in His defeat over death. This Enemy that has reigned throughout time. And so when Jesus comes as the king to set up a new reign, you know what he brings with him? Life. He brings life. He didn't bring stuff. He didn't bring a thousand other things that we often look for. He brought the greatest thing he could bring. He, he brought the most valuable thing to any of us that we could ever want or ever desire. He brought us life. And so Paul writes in in response to that, he says, where all death is your victory? Tell me, where all death is your sting? The power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ comes as King. He comes to win a victory. It wasn't over Rome. It wasn't over a hundred I think It was victory over death. You know, many of us, I'm going to guess that the majority of people in this room could probably quote John 3.16. In fact, if you can say it, say it with me. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, we know that verse, we say it, but do you realize what you just said? That God so loved you, that He sent Jesus, that whosoever believes in Him will not perish, that's another word for death, but have, listen to the word, everlasting life. Everlasting life, not compared to everlast batteries, This is truly, literally, everlasting life. Imagine it. When you place your faith in Christ, you have everlasting life. Life that will last forever. And nobody can take that away from you. Nothing in all creation can touch that. No disease, no sickness, no hardship, no person, no persecution, nothing in all creation. And this life is the very life, the very essence of God Himself. Before anything was created, God had this life. And when He made you and I in His image, He put this life into us. He breathed that into us. This was the life that sin took away. This is now the life that God gives back to all who believe. This is the gift of of Jesus Christ. And so, the moment we believe, the moment we believe, we get spiritual life. And we become alive all of a sudden. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, especially if this was maybe a little older in life. And all of a sudden you received Christ and you started, you know, you read the Bible before and it meant nothing, and now it comes alive. There's that word, it becomes alive. Because spiritually you've been born anew, you, you've come to life. One man told me it was like this. He said my life was like watching a television set without the antenna, and it's it's you ever seen where it's just all snow and you can almost see something going on in the background, but you can't tell what it is. He says all of a sudden, like somebody hooked up the cable, and everything just became crystal clear. That was life, spiritual life coming into him through the faith in Christ. God gives us the, problem, the promise of physical life through a new resurrection body. We're going to, have to, we're going to have to endure it out in these frail bodies, but we do so with the knowledge that we will have a body just like Christ. And we get a little glimpse of it. He's down at the beach. He appears. He disappears. He moves through walls. He eats. He talks. He communicates. He's recognizable. All these things are, are little hints to us of what this new body is going to be like. But it's going to be amazing. The Scripture says our, our old bodies are, are sown in weakness and they're, they're sown in dishonor and they're, they're mortal. But the new body is going to be immortal. It's going to be honorable. It's going to be glorious. And so we have that promise of new physical life. And God gives us life that is eternal. I mean, just think about it. Your life will never, 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 say it as many times as you want, it will never end. And so Paul writes, I think the sufferings of this present life, to so put them all on the scale, he says they're not even worth comparing. Not even worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed. Because in Christ, demonstrated to the power of the resurrection, Christ's defeat of death, God offers us life. So that's what I want you to hear today. If you have faith in Christ, you have life. And if you do not have faith in Christ, you do not have life. Because this life is in His Son. You know, some of you have lost a spouse, you've lost a child, uh, you've lost a brother, you've lost a sister. And I, I know we use that phrase and I understand what we're saying. We say, you know, my husband back a few years ago, he, he lost his life. Or my child lost their life in an accident. And, and, and we know what that means, but I just want to remind you that if you're in Christ... You can't lose your life. You can't lose your life in Christ. That is the hope of the believer. That is the hope of the Christian. That is why the Scripture often doesn't even use the word. It says, a, it uses the word sleep. We should not all sleep because in reality, in reality, we cannot lose our lives. I mean, can you imagine imagine in light of eternity can you imagine in life that never ends how short this life is going to look one day it's going to look so short it's, 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 I think it's going to look like almost a moment in time Just the Bible says it's like a sigh how long does it take you to sigh You know, it's like a twinkle of an eye how, how long does it take for an eye to twinkle and so I want to admonish you. I want to encourage you. I want you to, I want to just say, live in the awareness of this hope. Live in the awareness of your salvation, that God has given you life and that this life is in His Son. We're going to conclude with a, a, <clears throat> a song video here. And uh, I just want this, just allow the words of this song to just encourage your heart today. And when it's done, I'll pray and and then we're going to worship and move into communion this morning.